The word of the Lord from Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 35. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us. For it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread, and blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us when he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear friends in Christ, He is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Opened eyes. That was the serpent's promise back in the garden. When he spoke to the woman about eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, She rightly repeated God's promise that she and the man would die if they did so. Quite the contrary, said the serpent. 
you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So God was holding out on them, insisted the serpent. The fruit was the key to doubling their knowledge. As things stood, they knew only good, but with one bite they would know evil too. And in knowing both, he said, they would be like God. The word for knowing, by the way, isn't just recognizing something. It's not like, I know evil when I see it. The word has the freight of an intimate knowledge of living it, as in, you will know suffering because you will suffer, or I know poverty because I am poor. In this case, it is knowing evil because you are evil. I don't know about you, but I would love to know only good and not evil, even if it dropped a big piece of fruit on my foot. We read that the woman took of the fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And we read, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And that was it, naked and ashamed. In that moment, they knew that they had been good, and now they knew that they were evil. They knew that they had been created in God's image, and now when God came next to walk with them, they would run away and hide. This is the paradox of sinners. Because their eyes were opened, they no longer see. Because being evil, they will not look to God. I mean, where do we begin? The existence of a creation declares that there must be a creator. That is as much a scientific truth as it is a biblical one, because nothing comes from nothing. But man instead will insist that there is no God because we cannot see him, even though the heavens declare his glory, the sky proclaims his handiwork, and the earth is a testimony to his creativity and power. Sinners do not see God because they are too busy looking away from him. I feel like I've flogged the current cultural landscape enough for a while, but it's blindness and it's madness. The Lord sets up as the foundation for all society the institution of marriage, which he defines as a man and a woman who serve one another for life. Man instead opts for gender fluidity and redefines marriage until the word is meaningless and then puzzles why meaninglessness and fluidity make for a bad foundation of anything. As everything falls apart, man then starts to say that all of it is further proof that there is no God and the real problem with society is people who say that there is. Seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, knowing they do not know. Well, it's always fun to slap society around, but society isn't sitting in the pews. You are. You know sin because you are a sinner. It's not something alien to you. You don't have to get up in the morning and think about how to sin. You don't have to work at being impatient or envious or covetousness. 
You know these sins because of original sin inherited from Adam. You know pride and greed and lust because by nature you are proud and greedy and lustful. These sins do not lead to anything good. And yet you act on them. You run into consequences. You experience guilt and shame, I hope. And you find yourself saying, I didn't see that coming, or I don't know how I got here, or how could I have been so blind? If that is who you are, then that is what you're going to want to justify. And as long as you want to justify your sins, you will not look to God because you'll be too busy looking at yourself. This makes you even worse off and less insightful than before. You think you know good and evil, but you really only have a hint. If you do not look to God, you do not know true goodness. And if you do not know what is truly good, you don't really know evil either. So you have a sense of good and evil, but you can only take it on faith that good is much better than you know, and evil is far, far worse than you know. And that's the plight of sinful man ever since Adam and Eve's eyes were opened. Seeing, they do not see. Hearing, they do not hear. Knowing, they do not know. Why, God could become flesh so that they could see him. They could watch him perform all sorts of wonders. They could see him fulfill every prophecy in scripture. And their conclusion would be that the best way forward is to put him on a cross and shove him in a tomb. And when the opportunity arises, that is precisely what they do. On the third day after the murder of God, two men are walking home from Jerusalem. They are joined by a stranger on the road, a man they do not recognize. He asks them about their conversation and one of them, named Cleopas, is amazed and asks, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Now, if you remember about how knowing can mean being and experiencing, and you know who the stranger is, you will find that question very ironic. What things? asks the stranger, and they respond, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Oh, these two are so close. They have the facts, right? They say that Jesus was a prophet of God, mighty in deed and word, 
They say that he was condemned and that he was crucified. They even say they've heard reports of the resurrection from those amazing women. But they still don't know because they still don't see. They don't see that this was all God's plan all along for salvation. They're missing a vital piece that makes them foolish and slow of heart. They are looking at what man has done and undone, and they are looking at themselves and their own sorrow, but they are not looking to God where he is to be found. And if they are not looking to his word, they wouldn't recognize the word made flesh if he was walking next to them back to their village. So what does the stranger do? He begins at the beginning of the Old Testament And he shows them from Moses and the prophets how all the scriptures said that Jesus would be exactly who Jesus was, that he would suffer exactly what he suffered, and that he would rise again exactly as reported. Hearing their hearts burn, they're almost there. They almost see. The day is ending when they arrive home. So they invite the stranger to stay with them. When they sit down for the evening meal, the guest becomes the host. He takes the bread, blesses it, breaks it, and gives it to them. It is then, at the moment of the breaking of the bread, that their eyes are opened. The same phrase used for Adam and Eve back in Genesis 3. But... When their eyes are opened by the word, by God's word, not the devil's lies, they recognize that the stranger is Jesus. Their eyes are opened and they see and and he vanishes from their sight. It doesn't mean that he's gone, by the way. just means that he can't be seen. He's still there, but now he's hidden from their eyes. Why would Jesus vanish just when their eyes are opened? Because until he comes again in glory, when every eye will see him, he wants to be seen in his word. He wants to be known to his people in the breaking of the bread. And that's why you are here this morning. By the grace of God, you know that left to yourself... You are foolish and slow of heart. You know that when you look only to yourself, you do not find good and you do not find hope. That's the work of the Holy Spirit as he leads you to look away from yourself and look to God. And since sinners cannot look on the face of God in his glory and live, the Spirit directs you to look at God on the cross. There... You see what God would do to save you from your sin. There you see what God has done to save you from your sin. By His grace, by the work of the Holy Spirit, you also know that just like in the home in Emmaus, the Lord is hidden but present here. He makes Himself known to you in His Word, So we gather here to hear of Jesus from all the scriptures so that you might grow in knowledge and faith. 
He makes himself known in the breaking of the bread. For there in the supper he gives you his body and blood. It looks so very ordinary and commonplace. And for those who look at creation and still say there is no creator, your faith appears to be in vain. But by that faith, your eyes are opened. You have eyes that see and ears that hear and faith that clings to the promises of God. You know Christ because he knows you. Risen again, he has made you his own. And when he raises you, you will look upon the glorious face of God and you will live. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.